Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, my name is Bhavik Shah, Associate Professor at the Jefferson College of Pharmacy in Philadelphia, and I will be your host today for the ASHP Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. I am super excited to have with me Drs. Elizabeth Sherman, Associate Professor at Nova Southeastern University, and Jen Kokohoba, Professor at UCSF, both of whom are AAHIVP practicing pharmacists and who have uh, who practice and have published research in HIV. The treatment and prevention of HIV is an ever-evolving field, and today we're going to be talking about one of the latest developments, long-acting injectable antiretroviral therapy. So our first question is, what is long-acting antiretroviral therapy, and why does it represent a significant investment in the field of HIV, uh, Jen? Thank you, Bhavik. Well, very, very loosely, long-acting antiretroviral therapy is it's just that. It's HIV medicine that doesn't have to be taken on a daily basis. And the currently available long-acting medications that we do have, as well as some in the pipeline, are given by injection. So we do sometimes refer to them as long-acting injectable antiretroviral therapy. And it's, it's been a really long road to get to this point of having injectable antiretrovirals. It's been 34 years since the approval of the first HIV medicine, AZT. We went from one pharmacologic class of medications to more than five, depending on how you count the classes, from multiple pills taken three times a day, twice a day, a daily, to fixed-dose combination tablets, to single-tablet regimens, and now this. So long-acting antiretroviral therapy is a huge advancement in the field of HIV. And despite the simplification of therapy over time and even increasing knowledge about HIV in the public arena, there there still remains a lot of challenges for people to take medication consistently and still a lot of stigma around contracting HIV. So lucky for us, the principles of long-acting antiretroviral therapy apply to treatment and prevention, and we currently have long-acting medications available for both. That, that's amazing to me that, you know, single-tablet therapy regimens were one of the uh, holy grails, and now there's further advancement. And so it's really exciting. So Liz, what is the evidence of using uh, long-acting injectables for the prevention of HIV? Sure. So we have very good data, Bhavik. We have data in men, we have data in women, and we have data in persons of trans experience using cabotegravir for prevention, HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, also known as PrEP. Uh, There are two phase three trials. I'll just briefly summarize them. HIV Prevention Trials Network, also known as HPTN, study 083 and study 084. So the first study, HPTN 083, this study randomized cisgender men who have sex with men and transgender women who have sex with men to long-acting cabotegravir, a shot every two months after a five-week oral lead-in or to a daily oral tablet of tenofovir and emtricitabine, which I'll just call TDFFTC for short. And 
HPTN 083 enrolled over 4,500 people from 43 sites across the globe. And at ASHP mid-year, I presented the data from the initial analysis. After 153 weeks of follow-up, we saw 13 HIV infections in the cabotegravir group and 39 infections in the TDF-FTC group. And when you calculate the incidence rates and hazard ratios for these infections, it means the cabotegravir cut the risk of HIV infection by two-thirds. The hazard ratio was 0.34, which showed that the long-acting cabotegravir was superior to TDF-FTC in preventing HIV infections. And this superiority was largely driven by adherence. People were simply more adherent, especially over time, to the long-acting injection versus having to take a pill every day. And if you're wondering what new data we have since ASHP mid-year, there were some updated data presented at the 2022 Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections that included additional data from the unblinded study period. So now a total of 4.4 years of blinded and unblinded study analysis that showed similar results. 25 total infections in cabotegravir users versus 72 infections with TDF-FTC, yielding the same hazard ratio, a two-thirds lower HIV risk with long-acting cabotegravir. And then what about women, cisgender women? So there was a companion study to the 083 study called 084. So HPTN 084. And, and uh, this study is looking at long-acting Cabotegravir, the same thing, the same schedule, the same study design, placebo-controlled cabotegravir injection versus oral TDF-FTC, but again, in cisgender women, so about 1,600 women randomized to each group, and again, the results favoring the injectable over the oral therapy, where we saw that 36 infections, HIV infections in this trial were in the oral therapy arm compared to cabotegravir where there were only three infections. And when you exclude the baseline infections, this translates to a 92% lower risk of HIV in the cabotegravir group versus TDF-FTC. So you can see where this is exciting. And it's not to say that TDF-FTC doesn't work. It's that TDF-FTC works if people take it but a lot of folks just can't keep up with taking a medicine every day. And, and for those folks, maybe a long-acting injectable would be a good solution. So that's the efficacy data, but what about safety? Uh, in these studies, the most common adverse event were uh, in injection site reactions, ISRs. And that's a given because that's going to happen anytime you give people an injection. Uh, in these studies, most people did get injection site reactions. Uh, they were mostly mild or moderate. They decreased in frequency over time. But importantly, very rarely did patients have to stop the drug because of these ISRs. That was a rare occurrence. So, you know, th this adverse effect didn't cause people to want to quit the drug. So you get a little sore in your butt. This is a ventrogluteal intramuscular injection, if I didn't say that already. So some pain, some tenderness, maybe some induration. The median time to onset is about one day after the in injection, and the duration is about three days, and then it goes away. So uh, the bottom line is that these ISRs are common and they're transient, and uh, that's an important pearl to share with patients too. That's amazing how effective these drugs are, uh, two-thirds reduction compared to standard of care and, and the implications of that uh, from a public health standpoint. So Jen, can you talk a little bit about the, the evidence for 
treatment using these long-acting agents, injectable agents? Absolutely. So there are three main studies. All of them were randomized, open-label, non-inferiority studies that really led to the approval of cabotegravir with recovery for the treatment of HIV. And so these are the FLARE study, the ATLAS study, and the ATLAS 2M trial. FLARE was a study that really focused on enrolling treatment-naive persons. And what they did with these treatment-naive persons is they started them on a single tablet regimen of dolutegravir, abacavir, and lamivudine once a day for 20 weeks. And then they took that group and randomized some of them to switch to oral cabotegravir with rupivirine. We, we also refer to that as the oral lead-in period for one month, and followed by the once-monthly injections of both of those medications. Um, and what Flair found is in the randomly assigned long-acting group, 80% of those persons remained undetectable in their viral loads after 124 weeks. The, uh, where Flair really enrolled the treatment-naive persons, ATLAS was a study that focused on treatment-experienced persons. So in order to qualify for ATLAS, you had to be on antiretroviral therapy, some antiretroviral therapy, for at least six months um, and virally suppressed and you couldn't have had any history of virologic failure. So these participants were randomized either to stay on their current therapy or to switch again to the oral lead-in of capotegravir and ropivirine followed by the monthly injections. And at 48 weeks, uh, the rates of viral suppression were similar in both arms and high, 93 versus 96%. Lastly, the ATLAS 2M study took some patients who rolled over from the ATLAS study, as well as enrolling some new patients that were getting standard of care antiretrovirals from somewhere else. Um, and they randomized those, randomized those persons to get oral cabotegravirolpivirine lead in for a month, followed by the long acting treatment, except some of them were randomized to get the treatment long acting once every four weeks, whereas others were randomized to get it once every eight weeks. And at the end of that study, at 96 weeks, over 90% of persons remained virally suppressed in both the once-monthly injection arms and in the every eight-week injection arms. Now, with regards to the adverse events, I could just take what Liz said and basically say ditto. <laughs> um, and with terribly, you know, the bottom line is you're going to get pain in your bottom. Uh, and with treatment, now we're dealing with not only one injection, but you've got two different medications. So you've got two different injections, one on each side, ventrogluteally. So again, the most common adverse event was injection site reactions. And people in the treatment arms had similar experiences to those who took cabotegravir for prevention. It takes about a couple days for it to go away. People used various modes to make the injection sites feel better, like warm compresses, massaging the area, over-the-counter pain medicines. Um, but again, it wasn't enough to get people to discontinue using the medicine. So um, people seem to weather through the injection site reaction. That's really exciting that the, in the, for treatment, the data that supports its use. So are all patients eligible then to receive long-acting antiretroviral therapies, uh, you know, considering all the advantages it might offer the patients? No, not all patients, but some patients. And patients are very excited about this. So when it comes to cabotegravir, ropivirine for HIV treatment, 
Uh, this treatment's FDA approved as a switch regimen. So people 12 and up weighing at least 35 kilograms and the patients need to already be on a complete oral ART regimen and virologically suppressed. So that is key criteria here, virologic suppression. We don't yet have data on using cabropivirine in people with viremia. So the ideal patient must be virally suppressed on their current oral ART and the DHHS HIV guidelines suggests that they remain virally suppressed for three to six months prior to switching them over to the injectable regimen. The patients also can't have a history of uh, treatment failure, no known or suspected resistance to cab or rolpivirine, and that's because in the trials, those patients were more likely to fail. And once again, the DHHS HIV guidelines extend these criteria and add that the best candidates for cabotegravirral pivirine for HIV treatment are those patients that have good adherence, good engagement and care, because you want to make sure that they come to clinic for their injections, uh, no hepatitis B infection, unless they're also getting treatment for hep B and that they're not pregnant or planning to become pregnant because we don't yet have data for this population. And, um, uh, and also patients who are not receiving medications with um, drug interactions with e either agent. So I'll admit it, it's a very pristine type of patient, but many clinicians are interested in using long-acting cabotegravirral pivirine for patients who have difficulty adhering to oral medications. And therefore, those patients have some level of viremia. And that makes a lot of sense, practically speaking, because if you can switch someone from a daily oral regimen that they're having a hard time taking, if you can switch them to a long-acting injectable, you can take away their need for that daily oral medication taking. But Unfortunately, uh, the clinical trials that Jen reviewed, these types of patients weren't included. So there's an ongoing study called the Latitude Study uh, that enrolled non-adherent patients with detectable viral loads. And those patients were on standard of care oral antiretroviral therapy for 24 weeks and importantly provided economic incentives and then randomized to either start long-acting cabotegravirral pivirine or continue their oral regimen. So we don't have results from the Latitude study yet, but we await these results because we want to see how this drug can perform in patients who don't yet have undetectable viral loads. So that's HIV treatment. And just briefly, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the criteria for cabotegravir for PrEP. So when it comes to PrEP, this is approved for adults and adolescents weighing at least 35 kilograms who are at risk of sexual acquisition of HIV. And these patients must have a negative HIV test prior to starting the injection. And it's recommended that if you're using a fourth generation antigen antibody HIV test that you confirm that negative test result with an RNA specific test. And probably the best test to use for this is a qualitative HIV RNA. So we have some data to suggest that using a quantitative HIV RNA might miss some patients with low level viremia. But uh, like I said, there is great patient interest in long acting injectables. And as long as the patient understands their responsibilities, as far as the need to return to clinic for these injections, we've had uh, tremendous success and um, great patient satisfaction. That's really exciting to hear. And so now that we know that Captagravir Repivirine has been approved for, for the treatment of HIV for more than a year. 
what has been your experience uh, or what has happened since then over this past year? Over the past year, I mean, I think one of the exciting developments was that it was it was first approved cabotegravir with ropivirine for treatment, and then the approval for cabotegravir for prevention happened. Um, but either way, I think the main thing that has happened over the last year is that people are now trying to use it. So I think clinics have been working really hard trying to figure out how to implement the service of providing injectable long-acting antiretroviral therapy. And just anecdotally, you know, amongst colleagues, it, it has been challenging or confusing for some institutions to work through some of these really practical issues like how are you going to get the medications, whether it's via white bagging or through setting up buy-in bill systems, finding ways to help patients pay for the medications, um, how to set up schedules and reminders so people don't miss their shots. So I think clinics are still kind of working through these processes as appropriate for their own workflows, their personnel, their systems. Also in the last year, due to the data coming out of the ATLAS 2M trial, administration of cabotegravir with ropivirine every eight weeks has been approved officially by the FDA and added to the product labeling. So patients can now get their injections even less frequently. And then lastly, also the product uh, labeling has been fairly recently updated to make that 30-day oral lead-in therapy optional. And this comes from a portion of the FLARE study that looked at skipping the 30-day oral lead-in altogether. And patients seem to do just fine without it. So I think that advancement over the last year, just it simplifies things for patients and for providers as well. So earlier, uh, Liz mentioned the use of long-acting CAB uh, as monotherapy for prevention. Can you tell us a little bit more about what led to it and any sort of additional considerations that we need to have? Sure. So um, some important considerations when it comes to prevention is just like treatment, the oral lead-in is optional. Also similar to treatment is that for PrEP, cabotegravir, uh, alone is given as an IM gluteal injection every eight weeks. So for HIV treatment, the cabotegravir-opivirine can be given every four weeks or every eight weeks. But for prevention, it's cabotegravir alone given every eight weeks. And again, these injections are done in a clinical setting. So it's not for use by patients for home administration. So there's the initial injection, the second injection four weeks after that, and then each subsequent injection of cabotegravir happens every eight weeks thereafter. So while cabotegravir for PrEP is given every eight weeks, those first two injections are four weeks apart. And that's important for patients to understand. I think one question folks often have is how do I transition a current PrEP patient? Someone who's already taking daily oral PrEP with TAF FTC or TDF FTC, how do I take that patient and transition them to long-acting cabotegravir for PrEP? And the truth is it's a pretty seamless process. So these patients can immediately go straight to the cabotegravir injections, discontinue their oral PrEP. Um, once you have that HIV RNA test, confirming that they're HIV negative. And like I said before, we're using that RNA test to document uh, negative HIV status when it comes to cabotegravir for PrEP. And that's because the RNA test, which is also known as a viral load, is the most sensitive test available. And it's the first serum biomarker to become detectable 
following HIV infection. And in both the HPTN 083 and 084 studies, we saw some delays in the detection of HIV infection using traditional methods. And, and that's because being on an antiretroviral medication may blunt the production of virus to a level that suppresses the antibody response that you're testing for. So it may take longer for someone's antibody to be detected uh, using standard testing technology when they're getting an antiretroviral drug for PrEP. So we use a viral load test, both to confirm eligibility to start long-acting cabotegravir for PrEP and every eight weeks for continuation of PrEP. And uh, this is important to explain to patients uh, during that discussion about whether cabotegravir for PrEP is, is right for them. And another common question I get from folks is, what if someone is on cabotegravir for PrEP and they want to come off? So we already know that the half-life of intramuscular cabotegravir is long. It's long acting, but how long is long? Um, you know, one thing that we really care about when it comes to discontinuing an antiretroviral agent is how long until those drug levels are completely undetectable in the body. Because if, if you think about it, if someone discontinues cabotegravir, what they're left with is a long pharmacokinetic tail of gradually declining drug, drug levels. And then if they acquire HIV during this time, they're at an extreme risk of developing a drug-resistant strain of HIV because essentially that person will be getting low-level antiretroviral monotherapy. Um, okay, so how long does intramuscular cabotegravir last in the body? Well, there are sex differences. The median time to undetectable cabotegravir is 44 weeks in men and much, much longer, 67 weeks in women. So how, how do we navigate around this? And what do we do practically when someone wants to discontinue cabotegravir for PrEP? First, we have to assess their ongoing risk and their indications for PrEP. So is PrEP still indicated? If yes, then we transition them to daily oral PrEP with either TDF, FTC, or TAF, FTC. And if they're no longer at risk for HIV acquisition, then no PrEP is required. But no matter what, we still want to see the patient back in the clinic for the next year with quarterly follow-up visits with HIV viral load testing each time. And so, of course, all of these stipulations need to be explained to the patient up front at the time they decide to initiate cabotegravir because you don't want to surprise them with all of this information at the back end. So there's a very good amount of patient counseling here. And it's really important that no matter what, uh, the patients adhere to their follow-up visits uh, should they decide to discontinue the drug. And then lastly, I think it also bears mentioning that the CDC updated their PrEP guidelines last year, and they recommend cabotegravir injections for PrEP, which brings our total number of PrEP options recommended by the CDC up to three. So we have tenofovir alafenamide and emtricitabine, tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate and emtricitabine, and now we have cabotegravir. Uh, of course, cabotegravir being the only non-oral option, which is, of course, very exciting to us. So what we know with HIV therapy is that this is usually not the end of it or the last of it. So, so what are the other long-acting injectable antiretrovirals that we have in development? Uh, and what does the future look like? I think both patients and providers are really excited for more of these kinds of treatments to come down the pipeline. One of the ones to keep an eye on is lenacapavir. And this is a new class of HIV medications called capsid inhibitors. And lenacapavir is currently, it's in phase two, phase three type studies, and it's 
being looked at for many different kinds of treatment populations, including treatment naive, treatment experience, and even being studied for prevention. Um, it's likely dosage form is going to be a subcutaneous injection administered every six months. So this is going to be another breakthrough uh, when it does come to market because uh, there's a lot of potential for this medication to be self-administered at home, kind of removing some of the equations of scheduling in, in the clinic. So something new to look forward to. And then, Jen, if I can, I'd like to mention a couple more things that are in the wings, Depivirine and Aslatrivir. Depivirine is an NNRTI that's formulated into a vaginal ring that can be used for PrEP. Um, this ring has been approved in some African countries and is currently under review by several other countries. Uh, in December 2021, the ring's maker withdrew their application for FDA approval. So this drug won't be approved in the U.S., but it is out there in the world. And then there's Islatrivir. And this is a new class of HIV medicines called nucleoside reverse transcript transcription translocation inhibitors. And one of the exciting formulations of Islatrivir that's in development is the subdermal implant. So that's going to be a really great option for some of our patients. Um, now, this drug too has had some issues lately. In December, 2021, the FDA placed a clinical hold on Islatrivir studies, both the treatment and prevention studies because of data that showed decreases in total lymphocyte and CD4 counts in some participants in the trials. So at this time, the future of Islatrivir is unknown, but lots of exciting stuff potentially on the horizon throughout the world. And uh, LA, ART options are certainly our path forward in the future of HIV care and prevention. Thank you for sharing that. It seems like there's a lot in the works between the treatment experience folks with Latitude, uh, awaiting that data, and uh, this new drug class that Jen talked about, the uh, subcutaneous injectable where patients can self-administer, that, that will be a huge game changer. So that's all the time we have today. I, I want to thank uh, Liz and Jen for joining us and sharing their insights on long-acting antiretroviral therapy. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ACHP's clinical resources here you can find member-exclusive offerings, such as resource centers, including those on critical care, nutrition support, opioid management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, and forums such as the ACHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists Connect Community, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session at Therapeutic Thursdays and join us here every Thursday where we'll be talking with ACHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. 
Join us next time on ASHP Official.